as a child of the 60s, I grew up with Mr. Rogers. So when I lived on Pine Street in Canova, uh, when I was sick, home from school, I loved when Mr. Rogers came on. Now, some of you who are younger won't understand parts of this story, but I used to have to get up off of the couch and go over to the TV, and they had this thing called a knob. And you would change the knob, and for us, we had to change it to this middle channel, and then you had to use this lower channel to get to the PBS channel. And I also, because PBS was a little differently, by the way, we had three channels, barely got CBS, um, three major networks, and then we had PBS. And we would take, I would have to take the antenna. We didn't call it rabbit ears. I don't know when they started calling it rabbit ears. But we had to change the antenna to watch the PBS, which was where Mr. Rogers was on. And it was so, it was such a calming effect in a, what was becoming more and more a crazy world. This voice of calm and reason. And it's a fascinating story when you see the story of Fred Rogers. You're, in fact, you'll see that next month. Uh, there's a new movie coming out. There's a documentary that came out this past year, which I highly, highly recommend that you see on Fred Rogers' life. I, I think we look at a guy like Fred Rogers at what he says. He, he said this right here. And this was part of the attraction to him as a younger child. He said, as human beings, our job in life is to help people realize how rare and valuable each person really is. That each of us has something that no one else has or ever will have. Something inside that is unique to all time. My wife and I were able to go to uh, a pastor's conference this past week, and I got to see Ravi Zacharias, who is somebody through the years, especially over these last 15 years, Ravi Zacharias is an apologist. He's also an evangelist. He's a preacher, somebody I look up to. He's smarter than I am. He is sharp, I'm telling you. He is a guy, when he preaches and he speaks, he has such clarity. Now, to follow him, you really got to pay attention. He uses big words, and he tells great stories. And I've used, I've used many of Ravi Zacharias' stories here that I've heard. And it's just somebody that when I listen to him preach, it's like my blood pressure goes down and I listen to what he says. He speaks He'll get up on a stage at Harvard or Oxford or Cambridge or Ohio State or anywhere, and he will just take questions about God, about faith issues, about the existence of truth, all those things. People can just ask and talk. He gets in debates with other people. He is really somebody I highly esteem and I look up to. But as he was this past week preaching, I couldn't help but think about the younger 
Ravi Zacharias. Because here is a man who I look up to so much, who I think, man, it, I w- would give anything to be as smart as that guy or speak and to command the not only attention, but also be a soothing voice the way he is to this generation. And I look at that and I go, wow. When Ravi Zacharias was 17 years old, he tried to take his own life with poison. There he sat in a hospital room looking up at the ceiling trying to figure out how after he had failed to kill himself, how he would finally do it. Completely hopeless. Sitting there without any hope. Completely flawed, completely at kind of at the low point in his life. And a man from a church nearby came by and gave him a Bible. And that man told Ravi's mom, read him from the book of John. Read, from, read the book of John to him, especially John 14. And Ravi, having heard that message where Jesus said... As I live, you shall too shall live. You shall also live. And he took Jesus up on his promise. There was a man who was flawed, who was at the end of his rope, who had tried to commit suicide, who even many of us would look at and go, wow, he's at an all-time low, and God is using now. And I sit there and I watched him, and I watched pastors, Hundreds of pastors sat and listened at every word he spoke. I look at the Old Testament and all I see are flawed people. If you look at the Old Testament, you just see a lot of flawed people. In fact, if you look at the Bible, you see just flawed people. And you realize how God intervenes in history and he speaks and he speaks to flawed people. Here's what I have come to know. God uses flawed people because that's all he's got to work with. And that's our story today. You're sitting here, you might not know, you might be, maybe you're at an all-time low in your life. Maybe there's confusion in your life. Maybe you feel like your decisions in your life have brought you a place where you're at an all-time low, staring up at the ceiling, trying to figure this out. And so I've come to you today to give you a message so that you would make a commitment and find life in Christ. I want you to turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25. And this experience that Jesus has with somebody who's coming and testing him. And they are sort of confronting Jesus publicly and he asked these religious questions and Jesus does a great job of bringing clarity are you here this morning and in need of clarity we read in verse 25 and behold a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test And he said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
He said to him, so Jesus answers him and says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered, Jesus answers back and he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. That's where you find life. Loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. But he, the man desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw, he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. Then he sat on his own animal, sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Two questions. Two actually very religious questions. The first question is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This question was to put him to the test. He was here to kind of, and maybe you feel that way. You come here at church, you come here on a Sunday morning, and you're like, I want to find out what God thinks about all this. Where's God in the middle of all of this? And so he says, and maybe you even came here this morning, and you said, how do I get to heaven? How is it that I can have eternal life? Maybe that's your question today. And we see right there, the expert in the law, he, he asks this question, and we, he realizes, as Jesus says, you cannot inherit it. You might have been born into a Christian family. You might go to church all the time. You might have been born into a church. Whatever that is. And you can sit in a church every time the doors are open and be religious and still not have the most important question in your life answered. Where am I going to get eternal life? I've said it many times before, but sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car. 
And sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian. Many people think that coming to church or agreeing or being religious or being certain things in a culture, if they're just a fan of the church, that makes them a Christian. Jesus called followers. You must follow. You must commit to him. That was the first question. What shall I do? Truth is you can't inherit it. You can't inherit eternal life. It has to be given. You have to receive the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then he follows up after when he says, you know, he, Jesus asked him the question, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with everything you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, well, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And he's like, well, hey, how far do I have to go with this? To justify himself, he's like, okay, so uh, how nice do I have to be to how many people? How, how far do I have to go with what you're talking about? If I'm loving my neighbor, who is my neighbor? He wants to justify himself. How far do I go with this? And this was a social question. Who's my neighbor? People close to me. Is that what we think about when we talk, think about neighbors? People that are close to me, live around me, or people that think like me. Maybe it is the people that I like at school. Not all of them, just the people maybe that are like me or the people I like. Maybe it is the people I bump into the store, the people that are familiar to me. What's, in, what's incredible is that in my lifetime, increasingly the whole world has become our neighborhood. And because of technology, the world has shrunk. And so now people can stay in touch with the people they grew up with like they never could before. The world has shrunk. Interestingly enough, we... Because of your generosity, over these past years, we have, we have made it possible for a rescue house, for Destiny Rescue, to be uh, placed in Bangkok, Thailand. And many young girls have been brought out of the sex trade industry and rescued. Well, we also, at Ron Gaff's leadership, uh, the global, at the Global Leadership Academy there in Manila, in the Philippines, because of his leadership, we also sponsor people that come from all over Asia. And they come there for training to be pastors. Well, one of those guys happens, we, we gave him a scholarship. He went to Bangkok, Thailand, and these two organizations are not connected at all. But they saw on our Facebook page, the folks that we helped, uh, and then they started a new ministry called the Happy Community... The Happy Community Foundation. Is that right? Did I just say that right? Yes, 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 yes. Um, and they have their own ministry in Bangkok, Thailand. They're looking at First Church of God's Facebook, and they see where we do the Destiny Rescue thing. And they're like, hey, we could help these young girls do ESL, English as a Second Language Ministry. So they're looking from Bangkok at the First Church of God's 
Facebook page and they're discovering how they can do ministry in Bangkok, Thailand. Maybe we could help them. The world has gotten smaller even through technology. It's a big planet, but it's become smaller. And here's the thing. So many times, it's just like even in our community and in this global community, it is a neighbor. We have become a neighborhood, but we have not become a brotherhood. Because this question, God is showing us his plan. Jesus said, love God with everything you have and love others. That's what it boils down to. You're to love people around you and around the world. We are commanded to love people all over, whether they're from Africa or Russia or Latin America or whether it is in Australia. Every, we are commanded to go into all the world and we're to love them. Last week, uh, Billy Grant, the Grants who lead us in our prayer ministry and who help us in our ministry here at the cross, our cross ministry, uh, last week they put in a particular uh, prayer request that some Americans struggle with. And I am so grieved, and I believe it's grieving the Holy Spirit that we would even like wince at this. But there are a lot of people that even are na- that, that go to church who would say, I don't know how I feel about that prayer request. But they said, pray for the people in Iran, the Muslims in Iran. Pray that they would come to Jesus. And I think one of the things, you have a hard time praying with praying for people that you sit around and talk about so bad all the time. It was a good reminder. One of the things you need to know is that the Lord is bringing dozens and dozens of people people in Iran to Jesus through dreams and visions. In 1987, interesting and ironically enough to the grants, I'll never forget that YWAM did a huge push in 1987 on pray for the 1040 window. And at the time, we all thought, 1040 window? Who cares about the 1040 window? It's Russia. It's the great, you know, that's what we were thinking. Okay, yeah, whatever, missionary people. We'll pray for him, sure. And we, most people ignored that call. In my lifetime, can you see the importance of that leading? Even now. Even for us, this question of saying, who is my neighbor? It's a social question. And Inside of this, it was a race question. It's a cultural background question. Jewish people would not be around Samaritans. Different racial background here. And Jesus is still teaching. He's teaching Jesus had a plan to love God and love others. And he was showing them here in using this Samaritans. They were different racial backgrounds. And he's challenging them in this story. It's also, it's a socioeconomic and racial, I mean, and, and rich poor question. When you think about the racial, the racial question, you think, you think about people that Jewish people would not be around in Samaritans. They would not be around those folks. Are there people in your life that you're unwilling to be around? Is there a sense for you 
when this, who is my neighbor, are there people that you avoid? I want to challenge you. Jesus is speaking here. He is, he is talking. Are we listening? And, and then he moves on to a socioeconomic question. It's the rich poor. It's the haves and haves nots. James 2 Chapter 2, verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored, uh, the King James Version says, you have despised. You have despised the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Isn't it interesting that we increasingly, in a world, we not only have so much where we avoid people based on race, but right here, we look at people and we go, oh, well, they got what they deserved. But we see in this story the importance of mercy. We throw away so much food here in America. It's interesting for us because, you know what? The truth is, dieting is a billions and billions and billions of dollar industry here in America. We throw away so much food. And what's, in, what's interesting about us in America is that we need to stop eating and the rest of the world needs to start eating. There are so many people around the world, we don't even understand what it is to not have. Now, here's the question I want to ask you based on that race and even the economic, the rich-poor question. When is the last time that you shared your life with another person? Another race, someone who is poor. It's also increasingly a question socially, because there's a lot of ways that you could approach this, you know, even socially for us, because this is a, who is my neighbor? It's an opposite sex question too, for us. There's so much animosity, and there's so much unhealthiness. We see this playing out over the last couple of years in headlines about men being inappropriate with women. We see this in the news where incredibly wealthy people who have everything going for them literally cannot, are, are crossing boundaries that are so incredibly unhealthy, illegal in many cases. It's not a new, it's not a new problem. In fact, I want to take you to the Old Testament, the oldest book in the Bible, Job 31. I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Do you remember that Paul said to Timothy, flee sexual immorality? God is saying to us, and he might be, he's, he's trying to keep us healthy. But you might be like, oh, there he goes. There goes Johnny. You know, he's always, you know, God is saying that you can't have a good time. God 
gave us sex. In fact, we're all here because of that. But here's the deal. Keep the fire in the fireplace. To protect you spiritually and to protect you physically and to protect you psychologically. It's all this question of who is my neighbor? How am I supposed to treat people? What is it? What is it? How far, Jesus? How far am I supposed to go with this, Jesus? And I could talk about a lot of things socially. I could talk about your parents and your, and of course the Bible is more specific in honoring your mom and your dad, but I could talk about your parents and kids and lots of things between the generations here at the church. I might look at you and you might say as students, hey, who am I supposed to be nice to here at the church? And you might be like, well, I draw the line at my parents' age. I'm not going to be nice to people who are, I'm going to just ignore people that are older or vice versa, older folks. And you know what I see? over and over and over is I see a group of children. I'm one of those people. My kids are one of those people. My kids don't have any grandparents around them except for you or like my, grand, my kids' grandparents because we don't live around any grandparents. And I see that. You might think you come here and you go, Who's, who am I supposed to be hanging out with here? Who am I supposed to be around? Who am I supposed to be influencing? And there's a whole group of grandparents here who may not even have grandkids around them and vice versa. And so the, the question, I could talk about so many different social questions. Who's my neighbor here at the church? We could think about re international relationships we could think about educational levels. You know, am I supposed to be friends with people that are, you know, have doctorates and all that kind of stuff? And what I want to say is God has a plan. But he tells a story. Jesus tells a story. He says there's a certain man. There was a certain man. The individual he spent time to tell about. Jesus tells a story. After he asked this question, he just starts out by saying, there was a certain man. He, Jesus talks about the individual. He gives attention to the individual. And I know here today that there are many of us here today, but I wanna talk to you. God sees you today. In this story, he says, there's a certain man. God sees the individual. Jesus sees the individual. God knows about you. Jesus answered this legal expert by telling this story. And he says this individual is a Jewish man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's about 17 miles. And there would be this treacherous, there would be rocky cliffs and ups and downs through these hills. And it would just be incredibly hard to traverse. But here's what, it hit. there were so many hidden dangers in all of that. And so this man fell amongst thieves. He fell amongst thieves. He said there was a certain man who came up and he fell amongst thieves. The whole world is like this. We look around and we see people that are broken who need help. He's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell amongst the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed and left him half dead. And the scripture says, sin has left us half dead. 
Bad things have happened. Maybe that's your story a little bit here today. Bad things have happened, and I want to encourage you that Christ can make you alive. The thieves robbed and they beat him. Sin has left us broken and robbed and beaten down. And Jesus told these story, and then he comes to, there's three different people who are traveling along the same road. And the first one is a priest who would have served in the temple and probably offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. And then there was a a Levite who was unwilling to help, and he was a temple assistant who also served in the temple. And both of those servants saw the man lying there, but they passed and they kind of went out of their way to go around this wounded, half-dead person. Maybe they were afraid it would, he would be unclean. Maybe they saw him laying there and thought, well, if I touch him, I'll be unclean. I want to encourage you today, religion will never save anyone. It will never save anyone. Many of you come to church and You can lead and even be religious. But the more important question is, do you know Christ? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You can know Christ. You can know him. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's a wonderful thing to be able to go to sleep at night knowing Christ. Not by works of religion, not like being a religious person, not by becoming religious. Titus chapter 3 verse 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I am not going to go to heaven because I am good. I am a sinner. I'm going to heaven because of the mercy of Almighty God. I don't deserve to go to heaven. All of us are in the same boat. I'm going to heaven because of the mercy of God and because Jesus died on the cross and he was raised on the third day. I can know Christ because God counts faith in Jesus as righteousness and I can know him. So the man He's left on the road to die. The priest and the Levite, they're unwilling to help. And we are here in a love drought in our country and in our world right now. We're having a love drought. Where is the compassion? Where is the mercy in our world? The Samaritan of another race And then the story, the man's religion is is not given here by Jesus, but the Samaritan, he has compassion. I want to encourage you today. Jesus says the Samaritan has compassion. I want to encourage you today. Jesus has compassion. Jesus doesn't just save us, but he also binds up our wounds. He also goes with us, and he takes care of us. The Samaritan doesn't just save this man. He also takes care of him, and he kept him, and he provided for him. 
Peter says that we are kept by the power of God. And I want to encourage you today, the same is true. One of my favorite hymns of all time is Because He Lives. Because He Lives, I can face tomorrow. Not because I'm religious, not because I'm good enough, but because Jesus lives and he showed me mercy and he has had compassion on me, I can face tomorrow. I wanna encourage you today. I came to preach to you the good news, not just good advice. You can be forgiven today. You will not only, he will not only save you, but he will also go with you. So how do I inherit eternal life? These important questions. Who is my neighbor? What does the Bible say? Here's the first thing. The first thing is, if you find yourself in need of God today, how do you have it? Repent of my sin. I must repent of my sin. And what does repent of my sin mean? It means I'm willing to change. I'm willing to change. Second thing is, come by faith in Christ. Trust in the cross of Jesus Christ today. And then three, be willing to follow him and live as a good neighbor. And I want to encourage you today, as Elijah comes, I want to encourage you today, if you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. To see the beauty in this story of showing how all of us are kind of broken and to see how Christ shows us. Christ sees you today. Maybe you feel broken, robbed, beaten down. Jesus has compassion on you today. His death at the cross was the mercy you needed and I need today. Commit your life to Christ. So right now, right there in your seat, if you've never given your life to Christ, pray this prayer. Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know, Lord, I need your compassion. Father, I ask for your forgiveness, and I pray, Lord, that you would not only forgive me, but set me free. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I believe that Jesus Christ paid for my sin. Thank you for your mercy on me, Lord. Come into my life, make me anew. Help me, Lord, to live like a good neighbor. Help me, Lord, to have compassion and mercy as well. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you pray that prayer, the Lord will come in and he will come into your life and live in you. And you will have eternal life. This question of who is my neighbor? I want to have a challenge for everybody here. Just a second. If there's anything in your life where you feel like you need some mercy and some prayer, I want to invite you after the service to come right over here to the cross. There'll be folks here to pray with you. If you need any prayer of any kind, maybe it is that you prayed that prayer just a moment ago. We're having baptism next week, folks. Hey, why don't you get baptized next week? Come up to the cross and say, you know what? I've been convicted this morning. I want to do that. Come over there. There'll be folks over here who'll minister to you.
Here's my challenge to all of you today. When you think about that, who is my neighbor? Who exactly am I? I have one challenge for you. Don't walk past it this week. Don't walk past it. I'm praying that you will be a person who will know and see and have compassion and mercy. Instead of us going, I don't know if that's my, don't walk past it. Don't walk past it at school. Don't walk past it at the store. Don't walk past it in your family. Don't walk past it this week. Stop. Don't be like religious people. Act in mercy and compassion. I pray that God will do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine because we want to walk with him. God bless you and have a great week.